0: Today we get the honor of wrapping up our Exodus series, but there's been a couple of things happen before I've got to the pulpit today. So while I continue uh, to receive our tithes and offerings, uh, Michelle's sister text us uh, just a few moments ago, and my nephew, his name is Keegan, he is also another little boy, has just been admitted to the hospital in Virginia, and he has some type of a intestinal blockage and, and obstruction, and it's a possibility of surgery. So would you just join me in prayer for Keegan right now? Father, I thank you for the God that answers our prayers and hears us when we pray, fellowships with his people, and it provides the provision that is needed. Father, you know exactly what this family needs in Virginia. You know the medical situation that I don't have all of the details but you know all of the details. You know exactly what Keegan needs and so Father right now in Fort Myers Florida the people of God that call themselves Citygate are now joining our faith together and on behalf of someone else that is hundreds of miles away we pray for their healing and we believe that God that you're not only here but you are also there and you are more than enough to meet the needs of that situation. So, Father, we give you praise for last week's miracle and we give you praise in advance of this week's miracle. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, let me get you kind of caught up with a a couple of announcements before I get started on this last sermon. Um, One is we are going to be memorializing one of our very own, Miss Debbie Helveston, uh, next Saturday. So if you want to make sure you keep a close eye on our Facebook and website to make sure you get the proper times and things like that. And also, you know, it, it... One of the things when we started um, now 16 plus years ago that we inherited and have tried to continue a legacy of authenticity And, and, and being authentic. Sometimes it's the good time, sometimes it's the bad time, sometimes you're hitting home runs, sometimes you're striking out. So two years ago on this Sunday, I come in and I shared with you guys that I was the last person picked to our Turkey Bowl football event, and I proceeded to score six touchdowns. This year, not so much. I was hurt. (laughs) I pulled a hamstring. I am blaming the hamstring pull because my brother-in-law did such a fantastic job in making me aerodynamic with my new haircut that I was too fast for my own good and I pulled a muscle. And then also last Sunday, um, I got the privilege and the honor. You know, sometimes when you go away, you go away with good intentions. You go away to rest and and just kind of hide out. And somehow or another, um, I was extended an invitation to speak at a church in Indiana last Sunday. I accepted the invitation, and I think we had 12 people get saved last week. So I'm very thankful for that. But the day started out, can you imagine, you know, showing up to church and you're from Indiana, you're one of those Hoosiers, and you see some nutcase out in the parking lot taking selfies. I'm just walking around taking selfies, I'm video, it was snowing. And I'm like, man, this is fantastic, this is great. They're like, are you kidding me? You come straight in here for prayer. We call this miserable. And you call it beautiful. And uh, so we got to make some new friends and, and fellowship. And this this Sunday when I returned, um, we had an extended invitation to us to allow a church in Tamiami Village to come under the covering, at least relationally, of CityGate. Their pastor had passed away in Tamiami Village. And I had been a guest speaker and some of our staff had been a guest speaker in times past. And they asked us if we would cover them with pastoral care from this Sunday till Easter Sunday during their season. And I agreed to do that. And today we had over 50 people uh, come out for service this morning at 9 o'clock. And so I'm excited about that. Yes. But how do you end a series that we've been in now for probably 8 to 10 weeks? This thing about Exodus. And for those of you that may be visiting family, let me get you caught up. It starts out with the book really kind of not making a lot of sense. Like God's really struggling to go beyond our comprehension. Because can you imagine, put yourself in this position... There's a law that says anybody under the age of two, if you're a male, they, your baby has to be put to death. Moses is born in that environment. And his mother hides him for months. But as the cries get louder, and um, we are experiencing that at the pleasant household. Um, the last six months we've had two granddaughters. And you think they can cry when they come out of the package. You know, when that first little squeak. And you call that a cry? Well, when they get about six months old, now they can get mad and cry. (laughs) And, you know, Mila has proven that over and over again, that she knows how to now perfect the art of crying. And I can only imagine Moses' mother, as the cries got louder... And so she weaves a basket and prepares it and makes it waterproof, and she puts it in the Nile River. And she tucks it in the weeds and in the bulrush, and she assigns her daughter to keep track of where this basket is. See, and I preached a message about this when God doesn't seem to make sense. Because imagine that all of a sudden the wind blows and the basket dislodges from the weeds and the reeds. And starts to get out into the current of the Nile River. Now there's crocodiles, there's other things that eat people in the river. But most of all, he's getting out of the safety of the care of his sister and his mother. And all of a sudden now the basket is now picking up speed. And can you imagine the thoughts going through this little girl's mind as she's running down the bank? And she looks up and there is the daughter of Pharaoh the guy that passed the law that says that these babies should be killed. And he's the basket and her running in a collision course. She's fixing to take a bath. The basket's running right into her. And all of a sudden you think, oh my goodness, this is terrible. But it was the exact plan of God. Because what looked like on the surface, absolute failure, she opens up the basket, falls instantly in love with the baby, and he becomes the prince of Egypt. And now he's educated with the best education. He lives in the palace for the next 40 years. He has title, prestige. He has authority. He is so highly educated that Scripture literally says he is gifted and strong in speech. He thinks God's going to use him in this position to absolutely be an advocate for his people, which are slaves. And he sees an Egyptian and an Israelite in a conflict. He intervenes. The Israelite was getting beaten by the Egyptian. He intervenes, gets into a fist fight and kills the Egyptian. And in the matter of moments, he becomes a fugitive. He runs out into a desert, the wilderness... He is 40 years old at this point. He goes and travels just a short distance, probably halfway through the wilderness, and all of a sudden he gets to a place and he goes into Superman mode again. He goes into superhero mode, trying to do the right thing, and he sees a woman that is trying to care for her father's sheep, and she is being abused by those that are men around a well, not letting her or her sheep drink. He intervenes, gets into another tussle. This time has different results. He doesn't kill anybody and he gets a wife. Anybody's got a wife, say amen. Maybe you didn't have to fight for yours. (laughs) He gets married. For the next 40 years, he becomes so broken and defeated that by the time you meet him in one of his most exciting moments, this burning bush moment... He's 80 years old and he's so broken and full of defeat and thinking that his best days have passed him that he now stutters. This man that was so gifted in speech, probably part of the debate club. Now he can't hardly talk. The Bible says this about this burning bush moment. says it didn't happen on the path that he normally walked. It said it happened to the side. And this bush is burning, it's not being consumed, and he looks and has to make a decision. And I want you to understand that sometimes God's waiting on you to make a decision, and you're waiting on Him to talk. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes you're waiting on God, He's waiting on you to make a decision, and sometimes you're waiting for Him to talk. Because what he had to do is he had to make a conscious decision in his heart and in his mind. I'm going to get off the beaten path that I've walked for 40 years and I'm going to try something new. And in trying something new, getting on a new path, the moment that he stepped on a new path, God started to talk and called him by name. See, God may be waiting for you to just break the routine of the mundane and take a risk of faith and say, you know what, I'm going to walk a different way today. I'm going to drive down a different neighborhood to, to work. I'm going to pray for the neighborhoods that I drive through. And maybe God can start revival in you. We know what happens at the burning bush. God starts to speak to him and tell him, you're my guy that I'm, I'm, I'm going to select to go back and tell Pharaoh. He says, well, what, man, God, you are great. And this whole thing is amazing. I've taken my shoes off. I'm on holy ground. I'm t- there's actually God's talking out of a bush to me. And he tells me I'm his guy, but I've got to be the one to inform you. Uh, you're choosing the wrong guy. One, I can't speak that well. And two, the guy you're wanting me to go talk to is trying to kill me. And God says, no, you go, you're the right one. And he goes back and he tells Pharaoh, and we remember some of the movie clips of of this interpretation of Moses. And he goes in there and he, with this great booming voice, he said, God said, let my people go. But actually there's more to it. He said, let my people go that they may worship me. And we learn the benefit of God raising up a culture of worshipers. Because... What happens next is they finally, after 10 plagues, get to breathe the first breath of freedom. But yet they don't understand how to live free, even though they've been declared free. And some of us are in that position. We know that we're wanting to live right and we're trying to live right. We just haven't perfected it yet. Just keep trying. It's called sanctification. It's a process, I believe. I believe day by day you become more Christ-like in your faith and your walk with God. And as you study God's Word, it gives you the boundaries on how to live. You say, well, pastor, do you know that for a fact? Well, there's some people that believe sanctification is instant. I believe your righteousness is declared instantly through the gift of salvation. But how many of you are better living like Christ now? You're more of an example of Christ today than the day you ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Say amen. 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 How many of you still fail? Amen. Yeah, I just wanted to check, see if there was a lion spirit here. (laughs) (laughs) We're okay today, I guess. So they get out, and I remember preaching the message about getting your eyes on the wrong cloud. They are literally following a cloud representing the the presence of God. He comes in the form of a cloud by day and fire by night. And they are literally walking, following this cloud that is the manifest presence of God. And 600 chariots start to kick up a dust cloud behind them. And they get paying more attention to the cloud that's behind them than the cloud that's in front of them. And they start talking like slaves again. Oh man, we were better. Off back there, we should have stayed, we should have never left, we should have never attempted this freedom thing. I mean, you sound how crazy that sounds because we take it in the context of the individual. But what you have to understand for generations, for 400 years, every person born under the covering of an Israelite had been a slave, and they were literally saying it was better off for us to stay there so our children's children's children can be slaves. And God does what God does. He comes onto the scene. And a lot of times we want him to be so soft and generous and and gracious. And sometimes God just has to be God and say, shut up. He said, you are talking like slaves. Just be quiet. Your only rule is don't talk anymore. Two rules. Don't talk and keep walking. But we're walking towards the Red Sea. Just follow that cloud, man. They begin to follow that cloud all the way to the Red Sea. The Red Sea divides. The Bible says they pass through on dry ground. I got a a good chuckle out of some of the critics of the Bible that says that they really didn't walk through on dry ground. They walked through an ankle-deep water. And I've praised God with that. How did God drown an Egyptian army in ankle-deep water? But He did. And then they get to the other side and now they're free. No pursuers. Things don't always go right. They get to places like Mar, which is bitter water. And God, do you ever notice that God sometimes talks crazy talk? Because he talks in God language. Because sometimes the meaning of what you're going through is bigger than you are. And so they get to this pool they can't drink. Now think how crazy this sounds. Pastor Alex, you did such a great job of preaching last week, didn't he? Let's give him a hand. God tells him the cure for the bitterness is go throw the tree in the water. Okay. Can you imagine this guy pulling up the tree, digging it up and ripping it out of the ground and then going, what are you doing? God told me to throw the tree in the water and make it okay. What he was being was prophetic to let us know that there were going to be thousands of years later, the son of God was going to go to a tree and he was going to take away the bitterness of our sins. And all of a sudden he was going to throw it in bitter water and it was going to become sweet. But today to finish up Exodus, it's been now nearly 40 years. They've been walking around the desert, good times and bad times. And I want to ask you a question. If God was to give you one thing, what would you ask for? What would it be? You know, some days I would probably choose unwisely, like on Wednesday night or Saturday night, I may pray, God, give me six or seven numbers with the Powerball. (laughs) I think I could do a lot of good work. You ever negotiated with God? I think I would give some away, God. I would do so good. And he's like, yeah, you and all the other two billion people that have prayed the same prayer. But I want to get back to the seriousness of the question. What would you ask for? Because Moses gets faced with this question and he makes a statement. Show me your glory. And I want to pray right there. Father, today, help me to preach that if we were all in this building afforded the opportunity to pray for any one thing, I pray that you would reveal your glory to us in a way in which we've never seen it. I think you would be more than enough. If our one request, our one desire, our one wish, if we had the wisdom to choose you, I think you would meet the goals and the expectations of everyone in this building's heart. So Father, today I ask you to reveal your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. See, the setting begins with the first pages of this book. Do you realize that God and His plan for intimacy was never your concoction? It was always God's idea to be close to you. Do you realize from the first few pages you've got a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. They're walking around a garden. They've got all kinds of responsibilities. And the Bible from the very beginning says that in the cool of the day, God came and fellowshiped and walked with them in close proximity. That God didn't ask them to wait until they got to heaven to have an intimate relationship with Him. He actually came to earth. And so many times we are trying to convince, and I'm going to get us back to this as I preach this message. But let me plant the seed so I can water it later. Sometimes we are trying to convince God to come to us when He invites us to come to Him. And so all of a sudden we see intimacy and and Moses was an example of this intimacy. Can you imagine that Scripture literally says that people used to come to the doors of their tent when when they heard that Moses was going to the tent of tabernacle to meet with God because they wanted to see what God would do when a man came and humbled himself into a position and took off all titles and prestige and stood in the presence of the awe of God. And the Bible said the Shekinah glory of God would come and inhabit that tent of meeting and that tabernacle and literally that God would speak to him like a friend face to face. They were in awe of the intimacy of God. And all of a sudden this nation had, had had its ups and downs. And can you imagine? You know, sometimes we just pray, God, send the miracles. But you know what? Miracles get tiring after a while. We think if somebody could see a miracle, they would really believe in God. No, they believe in God when your commitment stays faithful during the good times and bad times. You are the miracle, you are the testimony. It isn't that sometimes we want to hear, you know, the praise. And, and I am so thankful because the Bible tells us we are overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And sometimes our testimonies have those happy endings. When we get to say that there was a seven or eight year old young man that was in the emergency room that looked at a dire situation. And God come on the scene and healed the young man. And he got, I think he got to go home this week, didn't he? And we celebrate and clap. People expect that. But when you can still worship when it doesn't turn out the way you think it should turn out that becomes the evidence that He is real because when you're walking through your difficult moments of time where God's just seemingly not making any sense and He's still worthy of our praise that gives a a validity to what you really mean. Moses had gone to a mountaintop. He had spent this intimacy with God. God literally, he literally got to watch the finger of God write the Ten Commandments on stone. I mean, I don't even know what that looks like. Is there like sound? Is it like a lightning? You know, he's writing on these stone tablets. I mean, what would you even do if you got to see something like that? And then, right in the middle of him writing with his finger the law of God, God stops and says, You better get down the mountain before I kill everybody. (laughs) They're worshiping a golden calf. Well, pastor, I, I, all we need is miracles. Man, they were seeing bread fall from heaven. They saw water come from rocks. They saw a Red Sea divide and drown an Egyptian army. And here are people because the guy that was leading them stayed a little longer than they thought he should have. And they assumed he was dead. And they decide, Let's t- we got to have somebody or something to worship. Let's do what the Egyptians do. Let's make our own God. I've preached this for nearly 17 years. If you can make God, he's not God. You are, because you made him. I can't understand that idolatry. I can't really d- deal with that. I mean, I'm making it, and all of a sudden, boom, I get done, and I say, you have more authority than me. I just made you, dude. That's why this book says he made us. Can somebody say amen? And they... they He gets mad and he runs down the mountain and he sees these people in acts of worship. They're dancing, celebrating. He gets so mad. I like people in the Bible that are real, that don't always do the right thing the right way all the time because that reminds me of me and you, right? Amen. And he gets mad and he throws the rocks down on the ground and breaks them. God didn't tell him to break them. He just gets such an effeterate, bam, breaks them. Goes and judgment follows. Those that participated in idolatry, judgment came. I I love when Moses goes to uh, to Aaron and he goes, what were you thinking? He said, well, really, it wasn't my fault. I threw the gold people gave me into the fire and the lamb appeared. (laughs) Really? So you didn't do anything. You just threw it in the fire and the gold melted and turned itself into a golden lamb. Yeah, right. Um, and Moses brought judgment. Now he has to go back and face God. And God says, well, man, I wrote them the first time. Now you got to write them the second time because I did my job the first time. I didn't tell you to break them. You need, you need to come to me with your anger issues. <laughs> and to teach you about your anger issues, get a chisel. And Moses gets the deal of a lifetime. See, during this some odd 40-something years of walking through the wilderness, he doesn't always hit the mark either. See, he's walking around with a stick. And the first time that God needed to provide water, he tells Moses with with his divine instructions, hit the stone with with, with your rod and I'll make water come from a rock. And he hits it. And water comes from a rock. Well, people mistakenly thought that Moses had supernatural powers and the stick was magic. And so now the, the authority of which Moses was operating in wasn't necessarily being attributed to the sovereignty of God. And God throughout Scripture will not share His glory with anybody. And so the next time they need water, He says, now I want you not to touch it with that stick. I want you to talk to it so people know that it's coming from me. And Moses makes a bad decision, lack of judgment, and he hits the rock again. Water comes from the rock. But now he's assumed the authority of being the one supplying the miracle. And God says, the judgment for that is you can't go to the promised land. You can lead them all the way to it, but you can't go. And now he has been in this encounter with God and God is is telling them he has become he has become frustrated with his people again. And listen to what it says in Exodus 33, 1 through 3. And the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, Your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites and Jebusites and go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people. God says this. He says, I tell you what I'm going to do. So I will be faithful to my covenant promise to your forefathers. I am sending you. You get to go now. You get the authority to go over to the promised land. You no longer have to suffer the judgment of failure. You get to go to the promised land, but here's the deal. I'm not going with you because if I go with you, I'm going to kill all of you. Because you keep acting like slaves when I've set you free. You're stubborn and you won't change your ways. And Moses becomes an intercessor. And he starts to dialogue with God and he says this, God, how can we be your people without you? The only thing that makes us different than all the nations of the earth is that they declare that we have a reputation where we go, you go. We are now your people. And what makes us distinct is not that we have a strong military might or not that we have an abundance of this natural resource or that. We're a tribe of people that are wandering around a desert. The only thing that makes us anything different than anybody else is you. Let me ask you some questions here for just a moment. Pastor Gray, if you'll come and get ready, I'm going to just play something softly for a few minutes. What makes us different than a charity? That does good works. What makes us different than, you know, the Salvation Army. The, uh, not the Salvation Army. Let's, uh, that wasn't a good example. Let's say the, the Kiwanis, the Lions Club, the Rotary Club. All good organizations that do good things. I preached at this church in, in Indiana last weekend. Next Sunday they're having a group come that rescues people from the sex trade. We're actually having Bill Wilson come December 10th. I can't wait for that. They literally raised thousands of of dollars to go rescue men and women, boys and girls, from the sex trade. And they had a testimony of a lady that they did on their announcements. And uh, maybe one day we'll hear that testimony. And I thought to myself, man, there's so many organizations that are now trying to do that free uh, people from human trafficking. But the woman that gave her testimony not only got out of the brothel, you know how many people can go and steal people? See, I've seen it firsthand. I went to Bangkok, Thailand one time and the police literally set up the barricades in downtown Bangkok as a caravan of people started setting up those little sheet shanties. And the number one commodity was little girls between the ages of 11 and 14 that they had bought from Cambodia, Vietnam, and they were now a sex slave. And a dude would literally stand outside the tent with a stick figure menu, and you could just pick out what you wanted. And this happened in a modern city of Bangkok. And I thought to myself, how do I, I'm just going to be real. I really thought this, how can I kill all these people and rescue those girls? That was my first thought. You know, I'm going to play Liam Neeson. And taking and judo chop, somebody. I run three fifty-yard routes, and I'm I'm hobbling like this. I can't be Liam Neeson. And this lady talked about this organization, about how they rescued her from the brothel. But that wasn't the testimony. See, a lot of people can get their body out of the building, but what she needed was healing for her soul. And so, what was different than this organization, than any other organization, is the presence of God through the preaching of the gospel that could take the girl out of the brothel and then heal the wounds that had been accumulated after years of years of, of abuse. See, what makes us different than every other good organization is that we believe that when we gather together in his name, he is faithful to his word, and where we are gathered, he is here. And wherever he is, is the needs, is the provision for every need that we will ever have because in his presence is the provision for every need and what makes us different and distinct is that we can call upon the name of the Lord it is not that we just do good deeds like like our turkey drives but it is the moments I was so proud of our church that is the moments that says we gave away like 400 and some odd turkeys but we had 37 encounters of prayer where the God that we went with a turkey was with us to where we could call upon his name And that's what makes us distinct, just like the people of Israel, what made them distinct. And God, he starts to negotiate with God and he literally says this, God, I would rather not go to the destination and stay here with you than to go there without you. See, so many times we talk about our destiny and we know where God wants us to end up, but And so our life becomes about the journey of getting to where He wants us to get. But it's not about getting to the place. It's about getting there with Him. You ever notice that God doesn't sometimes walk as fast as you want Him to walk? And you want to get up there without Him? And He says, God, if I have to go over there, I'm not going to take an angel. You can give me the stuff, but I'd rather have you. My heart's desire is to get over there. But it's not bigger than my desire to have you. And so God is overwhelmed by his advocacy for his people. And he says, okay, Moses, I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to send an angel. Cancel that. We're going to go together. But the problem is, is you're not going to have to go back to the first position of judgment that says you can't go. So now you can't go, but everybody else can. But when we get there, I'm going to be with them. And he says, okay, I'll I'll take that. And so God says, Moses, since you can't go, kind of what do you want? And I don't know, maybe he could have said, God, I'd like to go over there. Can you you wipe away and let me walk in grace? Can you wipe away my transgression of my yesterday? And can you let me go? He probably could have asked for that and maybe God would have said yes. Maybe he could have said, God, I'd, I'd like... My people to be blessed with riches. I would like to be known throughout time as a famous leader. All the things that we might have chosen good reputation. Maybe you could have asked to live forever. But who wants to watch the people that they love die? And so wisdom takes over and he says this. God, I know you in such intimate ways, but I think there's more to you than I've ever seen. Show me your glory in such a way that I've never seen before. And God says, man, what you've asked for is a hard thing. And if I give it to you the way you ask it, I'll kill you. He said, because no man can see my face and live. You ever been thankful for unanswered prayers? That God took your request and then modified it and edited it to what you really needed? This worked at Tamiami Village. Let me, let me talk to you ladies for a second. How many of you when you fell in love for the first time in the fifth or fourth grade and you decided that you wanted to spend your life with that person and, and you just prayed that simple prayer, God, let that be my husband. And then by the twelfth grade, they weren't so nice. And you had to pray, God, thank you for unanswered prayers. Can anybody say thank you for unanswered prayers? Say Amen. Amen. <laughs> God says if you I'll give you what you want the way you can handle it and then God says this there is a place by me but you got to come up here sometimes we stay in a position of failure because we're begging God to come down to us and God says if you'll just take the effort of coming to where I am and get in my fellowship there's a place by me come up here and Moses says where is that place I will come wherever you are. I will come. And he says, there's a place up here by me close enough that I can touch. But you got to stand on the rock. And so now you got this 90 something year old man coming to the top of him. There's nobody else there but him and God. And he's literally going to this place where there's a rock and jumping up on this rock. And so you got this 90 something year old man standing on a rock waiting to see God. You say, this doesn't even make sense. It does if you're you and me, because there was gonna be a disciple named Peter that was one day going to be asked a question. Who do men say that I am? And he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He wasn't talking about the rock, Peter. He was talking about the rock of him being the Christ, the anointed one that I will build my church upon in the gates of hell. He is standing there as a prophetic symbol saying, if I can just stand on Jesus, I can get close enough to touch him. And God says, I'm going to pass by. And if I actually don't cover you up, he said, obedience is always required. He said, you want to see me turn and face the mountain. He said, I'm going to turn around. I know you think I'm over here, but I need you to turn to the mountain because when I walk by, so much of my glory will consume you. I'm going to cover you with my hand and place you in the cleft of that rock where I don't kill you and when it's safe enough for you to have a revelation of who I am I'm going to remove my hand and you're going to see me different than you've ever seen me before see sometimes we think the enemy comes to us and tells us half truths because if he told us a complete lie we wouldn't believe it but he goes to people like you and I Ron and he says you know what you're never going to be perfect You're never going to live up to it. You're never going to be measure up. You're never going to be... How can you stand in God's presence knowing what you're going to do tomorrow? And I'm in the same... He he says the same thing to me. And I know he's right. See, but if we want to qualify ourselves by being perfect enough, because none of us can be perfect to get into his presence, but he takes unqualified people and touches them and puts them in a position to reveal his glory to them, that in the revelation of his glory, it can take care of all your shortcomings. Can somebody say amen? Oh, man. And so here's this 90-something-year-old man stepping up on a rock And turning in a direction that he knows God is going to walk by. And he's looking at a mountain until he feels the brush of God's hand. And the moment that he gets far enough away, he reveals, he takes his hand away and Moses turns around and sees the glory of God. And it changes him forever. He's walking down the mountain at the end of this chapter, chapter 33. And he gets towards camp. And people start to look at him and go, oh man, who is that? They go, I think it's Moses. But he looks different. He's glowing. He's got a glory about him that the Bible literally says they got to put a veil over his face to contain the shining of being in the presence of God. Wouldn't, that like, wouldn't you like to have that reputation if you could have one wish and, and, and you go through all of the unwise things? If you could have one wish and at the end of your days somebody could stand before a congregation of people and say this. He got so close to God that God could touch him. And when the, he touched him, he started to look like the glory of God and he resembled who he was worshiping. That could be you just got to get close enough into His presence that God would take His sovereign hand and touch imperfect people and deposit His glory in them. Pastor Gray, would you sing for me?